I'm Adam Epstein, and I'm a dirty moderate. Dirty moderates, nothing is better than when we have a bona fide dirty moderate on the program, somebody (laughs) who I think shares my ideological foxhole, but has so much to offer by way of data and experience. I want to welcome to the program, Mike Madrid. Mike, thank you for doing this. Um, Welcome to Dirty Moderate. Adam, thank you for having me. And thank you for doing this. This is an important place to, to share these ideas. I think it's really important. Yeah. And Mike, as we were talking about before, you know, we're going to break down the midterms and talk about stuff. But obviously, people need to know that you're really a, a really foremost communication expert in politics. I mean, you were political director at one point of the California Republican Party, you know, and even going way back to your Georgetown University days, you've studied this sort of influence and relationship of the Latino community to politics. Obviously, it's not a monolith, but but give or take, that's what you did. And you've been a pioneer, really, in, the, in, in terms of looking at what does this mean? You know, what does a, the largest growing ethnic group mean for the future of politics? You're also co-founder of the Lincoln Project, which we're going to talk about. So you're on the front lines of the fight for democracy. You were ahead of your time, but now time's caught up to you. So here we are, right? So it just means I'm old, I think. Is what I'm <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, listen. You know, Bill Maher always does that stuff. It's enough, enough with the last acceptable prejudice being able, uh, ageism. You know, you know what? I want someone with experience. I don't want some guy who's never run a campaign or never analyzed a midterm because they're all, you know, it's all whoop de do crap. But let's jump right in it. Yeah. Big Washington Post article today that you tweeted with a headline, Democrats lead with Hispanic voters is smaller. Yep. Then in 2018, according to Post Ipsos, their poll. Let, let's go into that a little bit. I want to I start with this. I remember George W. Bush running for, well, running for governor, but then when he ran for president, you know, being fluent in Spanish, really reaching out. And I remember him, did he win 40% of the Latino vote? In 44% in 2004. Yeah, we almost yeah. hit 40. I was involved with independent efforts in the 2000 and 2004 okay. with Hispanic voters, so. Yeah. Right. And so he did that. And then, of course, I always believed his heart was in the right place. And he and also John McCain, the point, you know, they were humane, but I think practical or pragmatic immigration policies that they had that, of course, never got through. What's going on now? Because and I say this to say that the Democrats have really bet the farm on identity politics, something I think is ridiculous for a lot of reasons, because it reduces us to one thing. And we're much more complex than that. But they've sort of said. America's browning, brown votes will be ours because the other side is racist. What say you? Uh, I mean, you just kind of characterized the whole trajectory of my career there beginning in the 1990s as I rejected this idea that the Democrats were putting forward, which was that if you were Latino, if you're African-American, this is kind of the way you vote. This is really trying to meld a racial and ethnic identity to a political belief. To me, that's just, it's not American. It's it's anathema to kind of who my, I am as a person and as a culture and so I, you know, I got involved in Republican politics, not not exclusively for that, but that was certainly a big part of it. And at the time, Republicans, you know, were kind of promulgating this idea that, you know, all of us were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. There was this message of universality. Of course, you know, 30 years later, as, it, as the white share of the population is shrinking, the Republican Party is as big or bigger a practitioner of identity politics than the left. It's just white identity politics, so they don't see it that way because they've been operating that way for so long. You know, in states like California, which is 35% white, 
the Republican Party is 80% white. So you, you can't say that there isn't a correlation. There's a strong correlation, and I would argue the strongest correlation. But having said that, yeah, there's no question that Hispanics, because we are a mixed race people, we're literally what we call a mestizo race. We are indigenous and we are European. That's literally what we are. There was this promise, there was this hope that maybe we could redefine or get out of this old black and white struggle, which has defined the country since our, our original sin of slavery hundreds of years ago. Uh, this trap that we have been in and been unable to come out of. And that's being tested actually right now. But but the, the biggest point, I think, Adam, to, to what you're saying is we're not witnessing really a transformation or realignment as much as what we're seeing is Latinos taking on the overall characteristics of the dominant society as it becomes the dominant society. So it shouldn't surprise us that there are more Republicans. The truth is, with Hispanics, that's the ethnicity with the fastest growing no-party preference. It's the fastest growing segment of saying neither of these parties work. And that's really the story of the Latino political trajectory is to say, the Democrats don't get it, neither do the Republicans, and I'll, I'll vote for the lesser of two evils like you and I have for so many years. Yeah, it's really not sustainable as a model, I don't think, going forward. But for the moment, that's just kind of where we're, we're stuck at, stuck with. Yeah, I mean, I, in this Washington Post article, and, and you know, you crunch the numbers all the time, clearly uh, the Democrats still have, what is it, 63% with Latinos or something to that effect. Um, so obviously that's whatever you know, almost uh, roughly two thirds. What did it used to be 80%? I mean, when you say, sh when they talk about this shrinking, shrinking margin, I mean, you know, this, it's kind of reminds me of the Steve Bannon line of the Lincoln project. You just have to, you have to get enough of that. You have to carve out that crevice of that percent to win. You know what I mean? Or do yeah. you think that this is, yeah. And I, yeah. I, I called it the Bannon line. I characterized it. I coined that term for a reason is I wanted people to understand the Lincoln Project was not trying to win half of the Republican vote. Right, right, right. The, the goal is you have to win enough on the margins in order to be successful in a country that is highly polarized like ours are. And I say that because when we talk about the Latino vote, there's nobody who studies or looks at this vote and says Republicans are going to win a majority. Like That's, that's not going to happen in my lifetime. But it doesn't need to in order to have these really tectonic shifts, these huge impacts. Right. And so Democrats, really, the high watermark was 2012 for the Democrats with Obama got 75 percent of the vote. Right. Which was 10 years ago. Keep that in mind, because a lot of people are saying, oh, this just started in 2020. Is it real or not? Because Trump got these numbers. It may have been shocking that Trump got these numbers. And it is. But this, tra this trajectory began a decade ago. Like, this is not news. It's just people are paying attention to it because the math is getting so big that it's now unavoidable. Mm. Obama got 75%. Hillary gets, you know, 67%. Joe Biden gets 59%. So th this trajectory has been going down. It's just now at a five alarm level where most of the Democrats are saying, oh, my gosh, what's happening? We never expected that this would happen how do we solve this problem and how do we get out of it? But a lot of us have been raising the alarm bells. You saw the documentary. You know, I was trying to get the Democrats organized as a Republican saying, get it together. You got a Latino problem. Well, one of my things, and I've, you know, now that I'm fully in political media, but I worked on the Hill in the nineties. And one of my things in and around politics, the landscape of course is admittedly different is that I find that my liberal friends or, or my democratic friends 
have a very hard time, and this is this speaks to your data, of believing there is a swing voter or there is an independent voter, voter like you or me. They think, you know what, it's really going to be, you're going to vote for the Democrat or Republican. There's not much there. People would say to me, you know, you and you're you know, promoting the Lincoln Project this before my podcast, but I was doing other social media stuff, and I'd been on a commentator on Fox News, believe it or not. I was a liberal, though I'm not a liberal because to them, you know, I'm a communist. But I, it's really interesting. But I, they would say, "Why are you're never going to change MAGA?" I said, "We're not. We as if I we're not trying to change MAGA." I said, "It's politics. Is your margin? This is a three percent, four percent. That's all. If Biden flips Erie, Pennsylvania, Carrot, whatever it was, Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know, those places that would be purple or had trended red or that could be up for grabs." And they go, "Oh, they." I said, "No one's trying to to to. No one thinks realistically they're going to convince the cult, but there are all these disillusioned voters." This is the hard part for liberals that don't like you either. So they don't want Trumpism. They don't want democracy to collapse. They don't want uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates to be Speaker of the House. But they really, really do have, I believe, uh, because I do, substantial policy disagreements on what the government should or shouldn't do and at what size on energy, taxes, inflation, that – you know, they don't feel they they have anywhere to go. Uh, I, I would say the patriotic thing to have done the last few elections is just to vote Hillary and vote Biden because why I was I'm not in a swing state neither you were in California, but I I think it's that thing of people aren't. I think the Democrats fall into the trap of do they they get coastal and they get non data oriented and they get like everybody tribal and think you know or having a great time here in DC or in San Francisco. And how could, how could Brown people vote for the Republicans? It's like, it's so much more complicated than that. And our, it, it speaks to the fracture in our political system, but it also speaks to what I think is the identity politics gambit on the part of the Democrats that is slipping away from them and proving to be a loser of an investment. Yeah. Well-spoken. Look, I, I wrote a piece for the New York times about the problem with the, the, the language of Latinx, right? Oh, yeah. oh it's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't even know what is that. I don't even know what it is. It's really, I'm not too sure either. 97, <laughs> 97% of Latinos don't use the term, but, but what it really is, is it's sort of a white progressives attempt. And I think it's, I think it's a genuine attempt yeah. Oh, yeah. To, to try to right wrongs and to, to reconcile and, and, and do some penance, I suppose. But that's not the way that you, you should be doing it. You're literally speaking a different language than the people you're trying to communicate with. And, and that that's the Democrats' real problem in America right now is it's not that people are anti-Democrat as much yeah. as there's a relatability issue, is the challenges of a, of a Democratic uh, you know, demographic, yeah. which is rapidly consolidating college-educated, white, coastal, urban voters. Urban voters, yeah. And it's losing blue-collar, working-class brown and black voters absolutely because there's a cultural divide which is correlate to the education divide which also has racial connotations in america and so this split is 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 leaving democrats going what is happening like how could this possibly be going on how could black and brown people be voting for racists and black and brown people are like look man i'm trying to pay the rent (laughs) i i I get that there's racism it's different than the way you perceive it it, it, it's no, no surprise to me. Yeah, there's there's racists in the Republican Party and there's unrelatability in the Democratic Party. I don't you know, have the luxury of thinking about that because if I don't come up with rent money by Friday, you know, my, my family's in trouble. And, and that's that that dichotomy 
is really, I think, a, a, a problem the Democratic Party has is it still thinks it's the working man's party. And it's not. And that's not Mike Madrid saying that. That's the working men and women of America saying yeah. we're moving to the Republican Party. Yeah. And, and that's why the, Repu- the, the, the established Republicans like myself were vanquished from the Republican Party. It's like there's no when I became a Republican back in the 80s and 90s, say what you will about it. There was an intellectual ideological basis for conservatism to make the world a better place. Oh, for sure. It was a party of ideas. It was, a, it was the party of ideas. Now it's like Diamond and Silk and Charlie Kirk and you know all yeah. the madness that Steve it's, it's, it's a clown show, really. It's, it's only a clown show. Yeah, it's just become performative. Yeah, and, and as a result, you've got all these people saying, "I don't, I'm not. This is, I don't want any of this. Like no. this is, this is nonsense." And so, it's very important that what you're saying and articulating the, what the moderate is and what the size of it is, even if it's seven, eight, nine percent. It is the critical constituency that determines the outcomes of elections. Right. It is the voter that puts Glenn Youngkin in office in Virginia as governor and Joe Biden in the White House in 2020. And in the same year puts Republicans in the majority uh, or, or I'm sorry, pick up seats, 20 seats in the Congress. That's never happened before because people are becoming more discerning. And what they're saying loud and clear is I don't trust either of these parties. Right. And it doesn't have to be 50 percent of voters out there. It doesn't have to even create a whole new party. If even five or six percent of the electorate is that discerning and they are, that's the critical constituency. That's literally the fulcrum that will determine history. That determines the outcome of races is history and elections are made and won on the margins. And those margins may be small, but they are the entire ballgame. Yeah, I mean, you'll appreciate this. My uh, in my previous life, I was a Broadway producer, and my chief business partner was a superb businessman and a mathematician. And he always would say to me, "You know, I love numbers." I'd say, "Why, Alan?" He'd say, "Because they tell me a story." But the story isn't subjective. I love that. Isn't that great? And so that's to your work. I mean, in a sense of what you're describing, basically, hey guys. You may feel this way. You may think this way. But here's the data. And to your point about the shift among working class uh, folk of all races. Right. Number one, that this is, you know, existent- what is existential for them is to pay the rent. I tweeted out today. I said, nothing is more smug and arrogant than anybody. This is pointed at Democrats. But then, then running on a campaign that says unemployment's low, the economy's great everything's fine. It's not great. No. You can't have a great economy when eggs are up 32%. Okay. Eggs and milk is up 17%, et cetera. Sure. Those numbers are, exist, but I said, you've got to be such a partisan lunatic because it's right to, to go out there and say that, because what you're saying to the voter, you just were voters you're just describing is, Hey man, you know, you have to pay your rent. Well that, Hey, listen, I have to tell you, there is, you know, bone deep racism in our country club or whatever. And it, you know, and people are going like country club. Yeah. uh, You know, I I have three roommates. I mean, you know, it's, it's. Do they have any job openings at the country club? (laughs) Right. I mean, it's out of touch. And I think that that, that plays into so much of, um, why it's a segue. These midterm races are so close, you know, I mean, it speaks to those, that hair, hair's breadth divisions, you know, that we have. Um, and uh, in talking about the midterms, I partially from your data, some of it from Wasserman, just sort of tracking it. 
Um, everybody does it a little differently. I fear it'll be a Republican House. I don't think it's going to be 30 seats. I think it could be, but it could be 10 or 20. It doesn't matter. You know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Who cares? And um, I'm afraid, I think it's going to be a 51-49 Senate. And I'm afraid it's going to be red. I mean, it could be blue, but maybe Herschel Walker will do himself in. Maybe um, Maggie Hassan will pull it out. I, I don't, I, it's hard. I don't think Medela Barnes is going to win. Um, and I really, I'm, I'm, I worry. That's first race I'm talking about. What about Catherine Cortez Masto? I mean, the that's the, that's that's the that's the one that everyone should be focused on, in my opinion. What's yeah. happening in Nevada? I went back to twenty. Well, okay, so Nevada was red for the all the year, way, way, way back when. And Bill Clinton carries it twice. Bush carries it twice. Obama carries it twice. Hillary carries it, and Biden carries it. But from Obama in 08 to Biden in twenty twenty, you see a gradual decline in Nevada's blueness. And again, heavily Latino, heavily pro-choice state, constitutionally. Yeah. Well, what's going on? And tell us what's going on there. Well, people, what most people don't realize about really the whole West is it's a function of, of what California, what's happening in California and who is leaving California. That's really, I think, what defines Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, even Texas. Leaving because of high taxes, regulation, all that stuff? Yeah, whatever, whatever it would be. I mean, it started in 1990, in 1989 with the fall of the wall. Really what happened is we shut down all of our manufacturing, the Raytheons, the Boeings, the Lockheed Martins all shut down. That was really the whole economy of Southern California. Yep. Yep. Those blue-collar workers, white blue-collar workers, moved right. to Arizona, moved to Texas, moved to, to Nevada, right. moved to the surrounding states. And those became ruby red while California became very blue. Right. What's happened in the last 15 years is a lot of people who just simply can't afford uh, real estate prices. A lot of white college-educated workers moved to Maricopa County, Scottsdale, Arizona, bought homes in Las Vegas, Nevada, where real estate was cheaper, moved to Austin, Texas. These are dem progressive Democratic voters. And so yeah. the red tinge is tightening up in places like Nevada. It's tightening up in Arizona. Arizona's got two Democratic senators. Amazing. Right. And, you know, in Nevada's had, you know, Democratic statewide officials for, as you mentioned, for since, you know, the early 90s. And that balance has gone back and forth. Texas is tightening up. It's not going to go blue anytime soon, but it's no. been tightening. All of this is happening because of California out migration, largely. Oh, so, so what's happening in Nevada is really fascinating because the, 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 the key for Democrats is Clark County. It's the large county where Las Vegas is. It's the population center. Right. And it's overwhelmingly Latino, which is the essential workforce. Okay. Now, what happened when, when COVID shut down the casinos is you had a real fracturing in that essential workforce. And, and in fact, a lot of them left. The Harry Reid machinery actually kind of shut down. Mm. And and now they're re trying to reconstitute it. And what's happening now is as Latinos are coming back, as those workers are coming back, they're decidedly more pro-Republican than when they left. And it's because of economy and the jobs and the, this COVID hangover. And it's this, this you know, inflation problem. And look, it is you, you articulated this really well. Joe Biden just put out the White House, just put out data saying we have the lowest Hispanic unemployment in history. But we also have the highest inflation in 50 years. Right. So it's kind of like, yeah, you're working, but you're still falling behind. Right. And it's working class people who feel those impacts the most. Inflation is a regressive tax. 
It's a regressive tax. And then people, you say that to people. I said to my mother, they're like, well, yeah. I said, no, no, well, yeah. You're well off. I'm well off. Yeah, I can go to dinner. I'm not, and yes, things are more expensive, but it's an alter in my life, to be honest. You guys are saying, well, yeah, to somebody that's saying to you, all of these essentials that I have to buy cost me more. That is a tax. So everyone, you say, well, the Republicans cut taxes for the rich. Straw man. Who, this, yes, they did. But guess what? Here we are now, and there is not in terms of, of tax policy, but in true economic um, material well-being, we feel taxed, right? Let, let me put it this way. I don't understand what they don't understand. I find it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Let, let me put it this way for listeners: if okay. if you are if you are struggling with driving around town to find cheaper gas, and worried about whether or not you're going to spend more in gas finding cheaper gas, right? That you're a Republican. <laughs> if, if, if <laughs> I think you're right. I do. If, if it doesn't matter to you, the, you're a Democrat, and that that's that relatability problem. If you don't know what the price of eggs is, you're a Democrat. If you do, you're a Republican. <laughs> like that's so that's literally what it is. And so right. it's easy for people to be like, oh, oh, that's not a big deal. It's just you know you're paying six eight percent more. I want to protect my constitutional abortion rights. And it's like, yeah, but on you know the Maslow hierarchy of needs. I got to feed my kids right now. <laughs> like I don't have the benefit of worrying about these other issues that, you know, a lot of these cultural issues that drive and, and, and animate the democratic party are overwhelmingly issues of class. They have oh, the yeah. benefit of, of the luxury of thinking about these issues as much as they sound like central and they are primal issues to us as Americans. They're not as primal as feeding the kids and paying the rent and keeping the, the heating oil on. Yeah, it's funny, you know, um, I have friends that were Bernie bros, and though I uh, disagree with Bernie so fundamentally, but I'll tell you this, to Bernie's credit, he runs on class, he runs on economics, he speaks to people, he, and he never even got into the malaise of Mueller and Russia, none of it. He keeps his eye on the prize and says, look, people are struggling. He does speak to people without condescension. I think his... Uh, the prognosis that he's offering is wrong, but I do think he speaks to people, which is why he he's always somewhat formidable because he, he goes back to, yeah, billionaires aren't paying their fair share. You're getting screwed. Gas is high. He said it. He said on CNN Sunday, I forgot with who I was like, wow, it could be like the Democrats should listen, but they don't like him. He said, anyone who says inflation is not a problem is not a serious legislator because you're not representing people. And that is what people are thinking. And I thought, Hey, well, that's I, yeah. I was like Bernie, right on. Yeah, know? look, there there are two politicians in the modern era who dramatically overperformed with Latino voters. And keep in mind, Latinos are the working class, the fastest growing segment of the working class. Okay, that's interesting. And so the, we have to really be mindful of this this, this rightward shift. It's a class issue. It's right. not a race issue. Democrats right. look at it going, how can you vote? You know, for a party that wants to keep you and your people out of you know this country or put your kids in cages and Latinos are like my grandparents came here. Yeah, it's a horrible yeah. thing. But again, I'm worried about the price of gas. I'm worried about the job, you know, climate. But there are two right. politicians in the modern era who dramatically overperformed with Latinos. Dramatically. Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Wow. And their messages are basically populist at their core. What they're saying is the system is rigged. The, the, the swamp needs to be drained. The, the, and they're talking about their own parties, too. They're not just talking about the American system. 
Bernie was saying the Democratic Party is rigged. And, and, and Trump was saying the Republican establishment has been selling you short. And that would resonate with Latinos who are voting. Again, if you look at these districts in the Rio Grande Valley right now, 80% Hispanic districts, rural, poor, the, at least one of these three districts is going to go for a Republican. The same thing that they have in common with voting for Donald Trump in 2020 was they voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary earlier that year. They're literally the same precinct. If that doesn't tell you what's going on, you're not paying attention. No, it's it's very, very true. It makes me think to shift to the next race, actually. I was going to ask you to be a working class, the thrown around so much. It is true. Ohio, great state of Ohio. you got Sherrod Brown in there. I think Tim Ryan's one of the best Democrats out there. I think this guy is real. I like that he he works on Trump's turf without being Trumpist, you know. He says, yeah, yeah we're going to raw deal from China. But, you know, he speaks to people and he says, look, I don't think we should forgive student loans. It's not fair to the working class. I think he, J.D. Vance is such a fucking huckster. But Ohio, again, Trump won easily twice I think by eight points. Hard to believe because he used to be as Ohio goes, so goes the nation. Um, yeah. But in that race, and I don't know how it necessarily relates to like the Latino vote, but what what's would you say what are the what are the numerical rhythms to that race really? I mean, you see so many polls and they're all a dead they're all dead heat, right? Yeah. Look, it's a great question. And yeah. Ohio is really a Republican state. It's not really yeah. a purple state anymore. Okay. Um, the new Ohio is Arizona. That's now the bellwether. Wow. Okay? So Very Goldwater State. Uh, yeah. yeah. With, you know, everyone keeps going, well, aren't Arizona's independence like Goldwater and uh, okay. you know. McCain, right? He's kind of Mavericks. It's like not really. I mean, it's more Kristen Cinema now than it is, you know, Barry Goldwater. <laughs> right. So true. Yeah. Right. And so, so Ohio, you have to remember there's there's a couple of things that are very unique about Ohio. The first is you have a remarkably good candidate in Ryan and a remarkably bad candidate in Vance. And that is making the race a lot closer than it should be. You still have DeWine, the Republican running for governor. Very popular. He doesn't win by 18 points. He's going to win yeah. by 20 points. I mean, you know, so a Republican's going to win, you know, Governor Ohio 18 points. This underlying Senate seat is, is competitive. Like, I, I don't remember a situation where that had really happened. And, and when I look at polling data and polling trends yeah. or, or the fundamentals of the race, as we call them, yeah. I'm a much stronger believer in the fundamentals of the race. I believe Vance wins that race despite yeah. – being a horrific candidate and despite running against a particularly good candidate in Ryan. Okay. That is likely. Now, having said that, could it change? Yes. But let's, let's take a look at some of the fundamentals of other races. Sure. Georgia. Georgia. I was just gonna, can I interject something? Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I've been eyeing this. You, you let's jump to it. Cause I was eyeing, I'm watching uh, this, this, uh, let's speak about a clown show, this absurd race in Georgia, you know, with this totally, cognitively dysfunctional man put up by the Republicans as a football star. He's totally, totally unqualified, unfit for office in every way. Warnock seems like a decent guy. He barely beats Kelly Leffler in 2021. Uh, you know, he's a nice guy. I, 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 I love him. He's okay. I mean, you know, he's a nice guy. What I see, though, is Stacey Abrams is going to lose that race for sure to Brian Kemp. Wouldn't it be, to your, this point, to the analog being in Ohio, so Brian Kemp wins, I don't know, four or five points, and Warnock wins? Is really? That's interesting. That's why I worry that Walker will win. I don't think Walker wins. You uh, don't think? Yeah, I, I don't think. I think I think Kemp wins. But I, yeah. you know, I've been, I've been saying since the summer that uh, 
Okay. Abr- Abrams, Abrams' fundamentals are just bad. They've never yeah. been good. She's had no polling where she's really above. There may be a couple outliers. But the look, Stacey Abrams blew herself up when she did not concede the last one. Oh, I know. I know. You, you do that kind of stuff with, unless you're Donald Trump, and, and people are just you're not gonna you're not gonna come back from that. I'll tell you something else, and you're a political expert, and this matters too. You know, for whatever else you say, she's very smart. She did great on voting and all that. I, I don't find her to be a compelling persona. I, in other words, politics, that shit matters. I mean, I don't find yeah. her appealing. I don't find her – I find her smart, but I don't I don't find her to uh, – let's put it this way. She's not giving off like any white-hot heat on the campaign trail, which hurts her because somebody like that who is an egghead and respected and she needs some kind of flame, and I don't see it. I didn't see it in 18. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, these kind of these Democratic rising stars, I think it's going to be a fascinating narrative shift because I think Beth O'Rourke loses, and I think Stacey Abrams. And, and guess what? In politics, you got to win, okay? Yeah, so, I mean, there's only so many times you can lose before. No, I mean, but for a national profile, I mean, listen, I always say to people, Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas, okay? He was elected many times. Barack Obama, though, was a one, you know, not even a full term. He was elected senator from Illinois. You have to win some kind of big office, I believe, yeah. fairly, so that you're not some media creation, so that you're catapulted organically by by dint of your political skill and and victory. Well, and I think Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke really personify the media creation of what the Democratic base really wants. Right. Right. They are that they really personify the two pillars of the democratic party at this moment in time. And, and, and so the media has given them, I think a huge runway. And again, if they both lose and I think they will this cycle, yeah. I don't know how much, I don't know how much gas is left in the engine there. I think you're probably going to see Gavin Newsom rise considerably because he is going to win by 20 percentage points. Good He's God. been leaning into the fight in Florida, leaning into the fight in Texas. Yeah. He's saying, let's get, let's get scrappy. Let's get Lincoln project on these guys. But, you know, you know, I, I appreciate going, yeah, when they go high, when they go low, we go high. But th- that's not the moment right now. That's not the moment. The moment is the fight. Is you you engage the enemy where they're at, and if they're that's in the right. gutter, you got to get in the gutter. That's just unfortunate, but it's right. No, no, I think so. And in um, okay, so in Arizona, back to Arizona. Do we? Yeah. Are we? I mean, I'm worried about Carrie Lake, aren't you? I'm worried about Carrie Lake, and I'm going to tell you why. It's it. I mean. She will become a the national figure of MAGA as yep. Donald Trump fades with all of his problems. Yep. She's going to become the national persona, and she is from, as I said, the swing state. It, it, Arizona is the new Ohio. All right. And well, so if she does win that, and Hobbs has been running a particularly un, unappealing, unexciting race, um, I think the strategy there was let's just give Carrie Lake as much airtime as she can and she'll explode on her own, which frankly is not a bad strategy until you get into Labor Day and her, when her numbers are as good or better than yours, you better shift strategy. Hobbs needed to lean into this race a lot earlier and a lot faster than she did. I think Kelly wins the Senate seat by five points, maybe good. going away he's a good, He's a good man. Yeah, and he's great. He's a great Arizona candidate, by the yeah. way. He, yeah, yeah. He, he knows how to talk about the border in a way that no other Democrat does. Yep. Um, it's really, really good. He's, think he's a national figure, maybe, Kelly? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, he's an astronaut. I mean, he's got a lot of good – that's what I'm saying. He's got a profile. 
You know? He's got a profile. He's got, like I said, he's he's a border state, which is really going to be of an increasing importance for yeah. Democrats more than Republicans, because one of the big narratives coming out of November is going to be how do we fix our Latino problem? Right. Cortez Mastos lose. The first Latina senator loses in Nevada. Kelly wins. Beto loses. You're going to, you know, Gavin wins. But California is this weird exception. Like it's going to be who can fix the problem for us? Is it Alex Padilla? Is it Gavin Newsom? Is it Mark Kelly? It's going to have to be a Southwestern candidate that overperforms with Latinos. So it's going to have to happen. And yeah. So that, that when that happens, I think you're going to see um, the, the 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 Democratic Party realize this this isn't just a bump. It's not a one off. They have a fundamental. The problems are with the fundamentals in their party with Latinos, and they're going to have to reorient and get back to being a working class party if they're going to be competitive. Um, in Arizona, sort of like Clark County, sort of, and I guess Reno is the ball game in Nevada. Maricopa County is the ball game in Arizona, yeah. right? It's pretty sparsely yeah. populated otherwise. So isn't Maricopa, though, the like you said, it's the new Ohio, it's purplish or what was purple Ohio. Do you, doesn't it feel, though, that like, I don't know. I, I used to say when Biden carried Arizona, it was Lincoln Project vote, basically. That Thank right, you. they were. Yeah, if, you watch, if you watch the documentary, it's clear. Like I was saying early on, like we went. That was the first state I invested in. I said the ball game's going to come down to here. If it's, I predicted it on my little map. You know, just yeah. that I had it. The only thing I got wrong is I thought they're going to. I thought we'd lose Georgia, win North Carolina, but we they. But I got. But I, I was telling people early on Arizona, like no way. I'm telling. And Fox yeah. called it first. Which You're right. Said, yeah. No, Ari- yeah. Arizona was the linchpin. I told my team, you know, I want this strangled off the map. I want Arizona locked down first and foremost. And then there were four states we looked at because of the map. North Carolina, a really important state. It was close. And the data, look, the data says North Carolina should be a blue state. The the, the challenge with North Carolina is you've got a third college-educated whites, a third non-college-educated whites, a third African-American. But in North Carolina, college-educated whites vote a lot more like non-college-educated whites than they like to admit. It's still very much a Southern vote, even though it should be changing. It should be there. When you look at the race now, that's at 50-50, basically, like it's a toss-up. That's really a three-point Republican edge. Right. Uh, This is is something your viewers should be looking at, is if the Republican wins in North Carolina, then there's a very good chance the Democrats hold the House. Let me say that again. If the Democrats win North Carolina, the Senate seat, there's a very good chance yeah, that Cheryl Beasley wins. It's going to be a good night for the. Blue. Yeah, it's going to be a good night. If it's if it's five or six, if it's more than five points, Katie bar the door. You're going to see the the Republicans pick up you know, probably 25, 35 seats. Now, why? By the way, speaking of of North Carolina, uh, why is this Beasley? What is it? Ted Bud? What's his name? Somebody Bud? What's the guy's name in, in the? Republican? I think it's Ted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why is this a quiet? I don't hear much about it. I mean, it doesn't, and I know it's not as nothing seems to be as media warping as Fetterman and Oz. But but what's going on? It's I mean, I think it's, North Carolina's teased us so much, you yeah. know, and, and I think there should that be first more. Obama win in 08 on the electoral map got everybody believing that. But again, yeah. you know, that was a little bit like speaking of Bill Clinton winning Arizona in '96. You know, That's right. That's certain times candidates are larger than the. They transcend the politics or the ideology and win. And again, that was because they 
Latinos voted for him because Dole was sort of race baiting or something. And Adam, you, look, you're, you're hitting on something really important. As much as I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in the data and I love I love data and politics, yeah. politics is still more art than science. I, I really I, believe I, I agree with you. And, and there, like you just said, there are candidates that can transform a race. Look, I can show you data all day long. I can show yeah. you far, far more data that will prove that a black man could never become president of the United States. Right. He, right. But not Barack Obama. Right. And yet Barack Obama does it. Right. I can show you data all day long. All day long, I can show you that, that Donald Trump could can't win. And yet it happens. Right. So there, you have to really the, oh, yeah. political I mean, is a balance between the art and the science. Yeah. And, and you have to really know there's a lot. Look, if you follow Twitter and a lot of the political data geeks, they're wrong nine times out of ten. And I that doesn't mean I'm critical because I love what they're putting out there. Yeah. yeah. But, but none of these guys have ever run campaigns. And these guys are like horrified, like, how did Yunkin win? None of our models showed that. It's like if you, if you run a campaign and you're on the ground, you can smell it. Like you, you learn it. Oh, yeah. It is an art. I mean, there's always that dance back to my old life, too. You know, you could have the the best budget of a Broadway show, you know, not too big, not over overcast, not I mean, not too many cat people in the cast, not big costume budgets ready to go. If the show stinks, it's going out of business. I mean, all of the numbers were beautifully done. I'm glad that the Wharton team came in and gave me a spreadsheet, which is useless because the musical numbers just stunk. You know, so if, if again, Bill Clinton carried Montana and Kentucky because he was Bill Clinton, yeah, you, you another Democrat might not have, you know, you just described the Ohio race. That's why it's so competitive. Right. So. So, yeah. And then look, I think North Carolina, if, if, if that that's going to be a, a real bellwether on election night, depending on what the margin's going to be. I still think it goes to the Republican because North Carolina has always looked, you know, it's always been flirting with us and kind of, you know, batting its eyelashes saying, take a look at me, take a look at me. But on election night, it's never really there, right? right. Um, and Florida is a more Republican state than oh, people yeah. realize it oh, is. Yeah. Ohio is more Republican. Yeah. I think Fetterman is, is going to do fine. It's, it's closer yeah. than it should be. Fetterman but will win, right? I think Fetterman. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of dynamics in that race, but Pennsylvania... Which is people should know who are not... In the weeds like us, retiring Republican Senator Pat Toomey has left that seat open, which means it would be a pickup for the Dems. Uh, but they're going to lose Masto. They're going to lose? Yes, they are. Oh, so that's a wash. So where are we then? Well, I think the Democrats hold Georgia. Okay. Yeah, that, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think I think the Democrats hold uh, Arizona. Uh -huh. I, think, I think Mandela Barnes is done. Yeah. Was, was, and I think it's probably six or seven points. I never really ranked that race. No. He's too progressive. And, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, and then that takes you to Nevada, which I think I think I, I, I'm right now saying that's probably a Republican seat. So I think I think that we are, you know, 51, 49. Red. Yeah, that's, that's what I said. That's what I think. I, yeah, and we're, we're, we're speaker is Kevin McCarthy really good? Are they gonna, they're not going to use him as speaker, throw him out. Right. I think Kevin's, in, you know, and I've known Kevin professionally for 30 years. You know, yeah. we were young Republicans. He's a Bakersfield guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm a Californian. So yeah, you know, we, you're in Sacramento right now, aren't you? I am. I'm Sacramento. I, I used to be the California Republican party political director. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago. So we, you know, we've been in battles before, been friends for most of our careers. And, and he, I, you know, I, I Kevin perplexes me, but you know this is a perplexing time. I don't want to you know speak ill of him, but what I will say is this: he's facing a conference that is really split three ways, and and Boehner and Ryan were not able to really ride the tiger with two factions. There are three. There is still an establishment wing of the party, of which of which Kevin is from. 
The Eisenhower wing. Well, yeah. It's a hey, look, Mike, look at my shirt. I, no, I love that. Yeah, I, I, I love collect political t-shirts, and I actually like this ticket. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so there, there's there's that establishment wing, which is the smallest wing now. You've got the, the freedom wing, right, right. Which, which was the, the Tea Party movement. Right. And now you've got this QAnon wing, the Gates, Marjorie Taylor, Lauren Boebert wing, which is going to grow, which is going to pick up numbers in the election. The challenge for Kevin is if it's over 20 seats, I think he's safe. If it's less than, you know, 15, I think he's in deep trouble. And I, he's going to rely on Trump to, you know, whip votes for him in the caucus. But I don't know how long you can ride that tiger because in the majority, they're going to be doing all sorts of things. They're going to, you know, they're going to impeach Biden. They're going to impeach Garland. They're going to Hunter Biden on the stand. It's going to be performative spectacle just designed to bring. I hope we get back to Hillary's emails. I'm not finished with those. Benghazi, like, you know, all 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 these goodies, like all that stuff is going to, that's all they're going to do. They're not going to govern. They're going to just try and tear down the president. And I I don't think that ends well for them, by the way. I think think a Republican House actually virtually guarantees a Democrat's re-election to the White House, whoever that may be. Right, right. They go, so, well, listen, that was the old uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama both benefited from. That was the old Harry Truman, you know, the do-nothing Congress and looked like he was toast. And it, it catapulted him to that upset over Dewey. That's the famous – that's a trend I've noticed, you know. Yeah, it gets back to what being a moderate is, right, like yeah. what you're talking about. And that is the, 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 a moderate really is somebody who's just rejecting extremism at this point. I know. I, it's, not that, it's not that I'm pro-moderation. It's just I'm anti-crazy. Right. And, and that and that and that is a very important thing, Mike, because we're talking about, you know, we're talking about material stuff. We're talking about how to pay the rent, how to keep the kids safe, all the stuff that people care about. The larger fight that I've been in and that you're in, the Lincoln Project has been in, is about democracy. Right. And I want to ask you, we're talking about Lincoln Project in a second, but with the fight for democracy, which I lose sleep over. But again, yeah. am I am I privileged to be able to think about that? In a sense of what I mean is, it, is that I, I wonder because I, I, I know my the message gets out there and people like it, but is it is the I always sometimes feel that that will fall on deaf ears with certain constituencies because, like you said, they're like, dude, I can't pay my rent, I can't worry about a fascist movement in the you know in the next ten years. I, I don't know. I think there's a part of it that is, but I will also say this: I think the nature of our society has simply become so performative. Right. There's a wide swath of people who just don't believe or or think that the threat is past. Right. It's like, yeah, I won't vote for Trump again because he was crazy. But do I really think that the January 6th thing needs to be litigated further? I'm like, of course it does. Like, you know, hit gas. Let's put all these guys in prison and smash them, you know, and find out all their networks. And, you know, and and the average person is kind of like, uh, uh, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just don't don't over, I don't want the Democrats overplaying their hand either. I mean, look, that's the only way you explain 2020 is literally the voters were going up and saying we're getting rid of the crazy in the White House. Oh yeah, but that doesn't mean I support the crazy in the Democratic Party. Democrats did very poorly down ballot. Yeah, yeah it's the first time you it's the highest turnout in the history of the country, and Republicans picked up seats. Well, we say I, it all. I did not ever see that uh, in my. I, because that's no. never happened in my professional lifetime. But when you see it through the lens of what we call negative partisanship, okay. which is a rejection of the extremes, a rejection of the party you think is crazy, it makes complete sense. 
And that's the best way. It's not that voters were necessarily throwing out. You hear the term that people throw out the party in power. That's kind of true. But the, the reason why the, the, they, they're really throwing out the party with the higher negatives and parties with higher negatives are the ones that get thrown out because they've got the bully pulpit. If you're in the majority, people are listening to you. Your negatives go up and people throw you out. That's a really important distinction because right now, for the first time in history, Republicans right. have higher negatives than the Democrats, and they're not in power. They're like that crazy, which is why you're probably going to see a mitigated historical midterm trend. Look, if, if the Democrats get away with a 50-50 split in the Senate and a pickup of 20 Republican seats, that's a victory. That's a really big you mean, deal. You mean in, the, in 25 days? Yeah. You, wow. I, 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 you, can you see a scenario? I see 50-50. So you see a scenario where they could pick the Dems, could pick up 20 seats in the House? No, I'm sorry. Republicans. I'm, I misspoke. Oh, 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 oh okay. Oh, okay. If, okay. The Republicans, if the Republicans only get 25 seats. Right. Uh, and I'm saying only. A lot of people are horrified by that. Oh, my God, the end of the Republic. It's like, no, I no. have a House that's got a 25-vote majority, and you've got a 50-50 or a 51-Dem Senate, or even a 51-49 Republican Senate. We're going to be fine. We're going to survive. It's going to be ugly. The politics are going to get nasty. The, the, the rhetoric's going to get off the roof. There's going to be investigations. Government will shut down. But by and large, we're going to be okay. We will survive. We'll get through right. that. I have to be honest, you know, divided government, and maybe that's why well, I was always a moderate. You know, I was always sort of a tortured Democrat until I left. I kind of loved Bill Clinton working with the Republicans and balancing the budget. That was great. That was where I stood. I was like, hey, the country did well by that. And I don't like Newt Gingrich, but I, you know, I, they made deals and Bob Dole and they made deals. I, you know, and quite frankly, that's our system. It's, it's, it's intentionally, you know, designed for that. Literally that is the way it was designed to work. And if you're not happy, that's what democracy requires. You're not going to be happy most of the time. That's literally what democracy is. And I think that there is a, a, a distortion, a warped, uh, idea of, of the partisan nature of things. And here's what I mean by that. And this is more the art than the science. You have people, you have far, the far right lunatics. It's all about owning the libs. So if you and I are owning people like us and the libs. So if you and I come out and say, you know, it's really good to drive a Prius, they'll say we're communists or whatever, whatever it is. Priuses are evil. It's, it's the devil's work. Bullshit. Total crazy shit. Right. But then, but then you've got independent, and I know some of them in Florida and whatever, people who voted for Bush and then they voted for Obama, they voted for Trump, and then they came back to Biden. There is the there is a voter, and I don't know the demographic, but maybe this is the working class demographic, that doesn't want to live in a world, Mike, where, woke, where it's used so much wokeism and cancel culture rule their life. Which, let me put it bluntly. They don't want to live in a world where they're canceled because 20 years ago they got drunk outside a bar and called a woman a bitch. I mean, and they shouldn't have to live in that world. That's a terrible, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a cultural McCarthyite world. And yeah. I think then that, and then they hear somebody, whoever, I don't know, pick a smug Democrat, <laughs> there's many, and they go, you know, man, fuck you. Like Trump's a jerk. He's a dick. I don't like him, but I, I don't want to empower, you know, um, snot noses. And I don't want to empower, um, you know, the left-wing Puritans for lack of a better word. And I think that there is a voter, meaning I think that, they that voter is gives us helps give us divided government in many cases 
And it's something I think people on the left have a hard time understanding because they so easily blame every single goddamn thing on racism. It's just, you know, it's tiring. I mean, it's just, it's tiring. And, and well, that, yeah, you just explained how Trump rose to power. That's exactly right. 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 And, 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 you know, look, the right is, is part of it, too. And that's why there's this small and shrinking sliver in the middle, which is so critically important, because they're like, look, yeah, I think Trump's a racist psychopath who wants to, you know, stay in power forever. But he, 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 that doesn't make you better because he's bad. And I'm not, th- th- then you're like, well, these false equivalencies. Okay, yeah, maybe they're not. But look, I'm a Republican. I turned on my own party because it is worse. Right. That doesn't make you good. (laughs) That doesn't. Listen, Mike, I told a guest the other day, you know, I'm so sick also, and you please use it and deploy it because I want to reach critical mass. You're both sizing things. Okay. Let's stop this. A hundred percent, I believe, as I'm vocal on, and you're right here with me, Trump and Trumpism are a threat to democracy. The Republicans are worse. That does not mean that if I bring up something that the Democrats do wrong, I'm both sides in. What it means is there are always two sides. Maybe there's three. One side could be worse, but invoking an opposing opinion doesn't negate the opinion because of the negativity of one side. And I find this so difficult. We have no critical thinking skills in our country, as you know. People are just, well, and both sides are guilty. And I'm like, both sides. Each party, and I go... All I'm pointing out is I think the Anti-Inflation Act was horrible, but yes, I'm still going to vote the blue because the Democrats, because what I think the Republicans pose in terms of being a real existential threat to the foundational aspects yeah. of who we are. Yeah. You know, people won't feel that way, which may, which speaks to your work with Lincoln Project. And the documentary, of course, is out on Showtime. It's five episodes. Very gripping. Um, if I may say so, I... What I, I didn't love, this has nothing to do with you guys. I, I didn't love the way it came out. In, in other words, I know there's stuff there and we're going to talk about it. It's not my business, but I, I don't know. Was he, was, was he out to sort of make all of you look like, well, you're just really former Republicans and this is all shit? I don't know. I, I just I don't know. You know, I, I go back and forth on um, – I, I, it's hard for me because I was in it. Yeah, you're yeah. because there's there's like so many yeah. storylines that didn't get told, and I'm like, why didn't you put that in there? Why did you make right. this person look like this? Better or worse? Of course, so it's kind of really hard for me to be objective. What I will say is this: they had to thread a lot of storylines that were going on, and 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 it was not the movie that they wanted to make. They had no intention of no. telling the story that they ultimately had to tell. That's one of the problems, as I've learned with documentary filmmaking, just because I was living with cameras. Every, literally, when I woke up, the one I would go to sleep as a freaking camera on you. <laughs> right. You know, while I'm running a campaign. But what, what, right. what, one of the things you learn is that um, it's a unique documentary because it's happening in real time. Most documentaries are in retrospect. Right. They go back and piece the story together. It's very rare to have Fisher Stevens and what was her name? Other person's name who directed it? Isn't it Fisher Stevens? Fisher and- Stevens and Kareem Amara. Kareem Amara. Um, and they were embedded, like you and I they were. were with us. They were with us. And right. yeah, the whole crew, it was a very big crew, it was very expansive. Remember, it was during COVID. Yeah. So we were isolated with the crew in a pod. We were testing every week. Um, you know, that's a part of the story's narrative. Um, it was a very unique campaign, a very unique moment in American history. I, 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 I find myself, look, I'm not real happy with, with the way all the storylines came out. 
but I'm extremely sensitive to the fact that they were trying to tell a hell of a lot of stories in five episodes. Oh yeah. Oh, listen, I was, I was gripped because I, I don't know y'all personally. I know some of you and I, I was gripped and I, I just think what Lincoln project did in 2020 is one for the history books and all organizations have schisms and growing pains. I know uh, you can only speak to some of it, you know, without knowing everybody and, and the way they presented it. Look, I, you know, I think there's going to, there's bound to be, um, there's bound to be tension. I know there were greater things here than tension and, you know, and then especially the John Weaver stuff, um, I know was, was bad, but I I just, I just, and I think Lincoln project still doing their great ads and whatever. I just, I just don't want it to sully what I think is the best political data and advertising operation for democracy that I've ever known. And the DNC, you, you do, or did, they continue to do the work the DNC doesn't do. I mean, every day there's an an ad and I think is, and then they run them in in those swing States. And I thought, is the DNC ever going to make an ad beside like, we won, we, we gave you childcare. We gave you, and it's like, what is this? You know what I mean? You're going to have to fucking tear these motherfuckers down. If you want to win the race, it's a tough, 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 uh, as you know. Yeah, and I think look one of the one of the success. First of all, I think the Lincoln Project redefined the modern campaign. Absolutely, it, it did. The tactics that we used really took all of Trump's strengths and turned them on him. We just commanded constantly the media narrative, and and part of that is because of him. Like you, you have to have this cartoon character that would say this stupid shit all every day, and he made it easy for us to do a lot of our work. That's one. Two really important. We didn't have a, a pack board or a candidate that was approving or disapproving messages. We were just like, go do your best stuff. And, and we had a really, really uniquely talented team. Rick Wilson was he was doing his best work. Oh, and superb. He's a great ad guy. I mean, he's Stuart Stevens is you know one of the best guys, Republican admin of his generation. Stuart was on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah, no, no one was ever giving me a hard time on the data. They were just like, no. data guy, go, go, whatever he says, go. Like, I didn't have to, like, fight and argue. I just got to do my best stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you had consultants kind of unrestrained, unhinged, unlocked, unhinged too, probably, where we were just like, you know what, let's just go do, let's just go do our best work at this moment in time because the situation demands it. And that freedom allowed us to be the best of what we were. And I think the country saw it. And I think it was reflective of that. And so, you know, that's that was, um, I, it, look, it was it was the peak of my career. It's an honor to have been, you know, impactful in a race that was that consequential to be a part of history. There's no question it made an impact. Absolutely. But there was also a human story to it as well. There was a great tragedy to it. And I think that, I, I will say this. I think the movie does a very good job of showing everybody who they are. Like, it's pretty clear who everybody was. And I think that that, at a minimum, is really, really um, accurate. Yeah, I mean, um, I, 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 you know, I think because we're in such a precarious situation with democracy, you know, I think, no, you're right, there's a very human story. Um, and, you know, all of you had such different experiences. I, I was hoping that what the Lincoln Project did, just as an organization, would get the Democrats to be a little bit more and Fetterman's kind of good at it, kind of trolling Oz and, and beating back and doing, you know, going not high, but going lower than low. 
I, I was hoping that they would they would uh, be a model. I guess my disappointment is the human story is the human story, and I'm sorry for what happened. But I, I do think it sullies the idea that people can leave a party and be independent agents and care about democracy, even if they've been faithful to a party their whole life, because that's what I feel. And that's, I just don't want to lose, I guess that. I, I don't want to, of course, explain away or anybody's situation. I did not my situation. Yeah. Did. I mean, look, is that fair? I'm sure. I mean, that's your impressions. Of course it's yeah. fair. I will say this. Let me tell you how I reconcile that is. Yeah. I, I have never believed that either party is virtuous just because they're a party. Of course. If you're committed to your beliefs and your country, then the parties are just a vessel. The problem is in today's society, we have branded and blended your own personal identity with a political party I know. To, to the point where if you're not of my tribe, you're a bigger threat than the Russians. <laughs> then, then, you know, it, it's like it's madness. And it's like as long as we believe that our loyalty to our party is more important than our loyalty to our country, we are in for trouble. Like that's how democracy ends. And th these are the warnings that the founders gave us. Like political parties are not good. They're factions. Yeah. They're factions and they're, they, they serve a purpose and that's okay as long as you, as long as that purpose meets the broader aim, which is to build a better country. If the goal is to have the Republicans win and have the country being a smoking radiated ruin, but the Republicans win, that's that's not the goal. Okay, it shouldn't be the goal. That is the goal for the Republican Party at this moment right now. That's why I'm working against it. I, I've never ever people would be like, "Well, you're a traitor to your party," and I was like, "Well, you're a traitor to your country." Like, which yeah. Would you which would you rather be? I don't mind being a traitor to my party. Who cares? It's a party. Listen, and this was, I think, symptomatic of Trump's reign, Trumpism, um, and uh, because of where how the country got to Trump. But I think what I what I'm really frustrated by, even uh, while fighting against these bad guys, is this idea: everyone is not your enemy. Okay. In other words. You know, even the civil debates, when I was talking about the Anti-Inflation Act, which used to be the Build Back Better bill, I have just so many problems. I think it's just going to do a lot of harm. And, you know, people are like, well, don't be a monster. I'm like, okay, listen, take your DNC talking points and get the fuck out. I, I can't. This is the problem. Because you guys, who were in my party at the time, said Mitt Romney was the devil. John McCain was the devil. Everyone was the devil. Now we've got the fucking devil. And then you know what? Imagine if we probably had one, we probably would have Trump. But I'm just saying, you know, you got to stop labeling everything you disagree with as the devil or wrong. Of course, the Republican Trump MAGA people do that to us. We're, we don't belong. We're out. We're not citizens. We're traitors. We're bad people. All that. But even with the mild-mannered kind of lightly partisan person who just goes, well, you know, I have to vote Democratic. It'd be, but they're not, all, they're not all saying it because of democracy. They're saying it because... They're a Democrat's Democrat. They have their hat. They go to the convention. And I go, is that, what do you, well, what do you believe, you know? And that's where I had to leave the Democratic Party because I said, there's no home for a guy like me with a center right, maybe call it Tory philosophy. I'm gay, but I, I don't, what does being gay have to do with supporting the Build Back fucking Better bill? But that's where we are. You have to be, everybody's going to sign up. And if you, if you deviate, every, one minor deviation, and it goes on both sides, ends up being this kind of, hyperbolic apostasy, I guess. And it's, I have to tell you, it wears me the fuck out. That's why I'm doing what I do. So I can be more worn out. No, I mean, no, I mean it's just, it's crazy talk. We, you know, well, you're, 
I think you're fighting the good fight. You're fighting for the right reasons. And like I said, is there's somewhere along the lines, parties became religions. Yeah, yeah. And and they're not. They're they're just vehicles. They're vessels, and they change. By the way, like incredibly fast. Like I never thought, as somebody who joined the party of Ronald Reagan, that we would be the party of Vladimir Putin. I right. And yet here we are, right? Oh, yeah, right. You raise oh, your yeah. hand and say, "Wait, wait, this is not good." And everyone's like, "Oh, Rhino!" You know, it's like, like the Republican Party. You know, when I was growing up, was the pro law enforcement, pro FBI, anti-communist, anti-Russian, right? Limited government party. I mean, it was it was, was what it was. The idea that that this would be, although to be fair. Maybe the internet's amplified it. You know, the John Birch Society kooks in the 50s said Eisenhower was a communist agent. So there's always been a strain. Richard Hofstetter wrote that famous book, The Paranoid Style in American yeah. Politics. You know, so there's always been that. I don't know whether the numbers are greater now or they're just louder because the internet. I don't know. It's another discussion, but it's there. Before you go, a couple of quick things. Yeah. Are the paintings that you were uh, handling in the first episode your own work? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a painter. I started oh, painting. And you painted that behind you? Uh, this painting I have not. This is oh. my you know, Lincoln painting. It's a, it is an oil. It's a hand-painted right. oil. Lincoln's um, my favorite president. Is he yours? Is that why that's there? What was that? Is Lincoln your favorite president? Because he's mine. Lincoln would be my favorite president, but I'm really much more. I've got two, pic, two portraits here to my right, one of Frederick Douglass. Wow. And the, the other of Thaddeus Stevens, who were right. really the conscience of the Republican Party at that time. Yeah, Lincoln was much more pragmatic. We, we like to think that Lincoln, you know, was all about abolition and freeing the slaves. And, and he was really more about preserving union, which is, yeah. which, is good, which is a good thing. But the moral backbone of, of republicanism and abolitionism and, and justice and equality in the light of our founding documents, in my opinion, were, were two thinkers, Frederick Douglass and Thaddeus Stevens. And that's that's kind of the Republican I I, I remain. I'm, I'm still a Republican, by the way. I'm, I think I'm the last Republican of the Lincoln Project Republicans. You're the last great hope of Republican Earth. I, I'm not trying to save it anymore. I don't even know if it's salvageable, but yeah. I, I just know what I believe. Like I haven't yeah. changed my belief systems. Too bad. Right. I mean, hard to believe it. And it's right. I love I love American history. You got Stevens and Grant and Lincoln and Frederick. Yeah, all this I mean, was, that was what the Republican Party. I mean, the Democrats were the KKK. You know. Was, yeah, and they, they, look, difficult times characters uh, emerge uh, yeah. to, to, to do the right thing. And we are at that time and and, yeah. and and people will do the, I believe enough people will do the right thing. It doesn't mean that everybody does. Right. It's like our conversation on the margins. Yeah. You know, you don't need a majority. You just need no. enough people. You just to need do. enough people at the right time. That's kind of Biden's wonderful, you know, first inaugural speech. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what the Lincoln project was. It was like, look, we, we're, we're eight people. We're consultants. And whoever thought that it would be political consultants would be the moral backbone of a political party. But here we are. We know it's wrong. We understand the hierarchy. We understand why all of our friends kowtow to this because of title or money or fame or celebrity or recognition. And we're going to burn it all down because it's not the, it's the wrong thing. This is wrong. And as long as history has those moments, mm. um, we will be okay. The republic will survive. We have been in really, really bad spots before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this was a close one. Uh, it, it's not over, by the way. But it's, it, you know, I, I think that we are energized as a people and ready for the fight now in a way that we were not in 16 and 20. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I happen to believe, and then we're going to, I'm going to ask you one more question, then I'm going to wrap up. I happen to believe it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But I, I think it will get better because I think it's going to be, speaking of growing pains, it's going to be a lot of growing pains and a lot of a, of a country that's, 
shifting demographically, but also shifting spiritually. And I don't mean religiously. A, we are less religious. Maybe that's something to do with it. But but I but we're changing in terms of who we are and what we want. You know, in our value systems. You know, and and I still think they're fundamentally tethered, though, to the idea that we, the people, should govern. I don't think that's gone away. I think we're so lucky in that way. I'm not a full-on American exceptionalist, but I do think we have certainly a unique trajectory. Um, the question is, does this 245, 46-year-old experiment endure? I think so. Um, based on your experience, what, how do you think we can uh, inspire more people, Mike, to vote country over party? You know, when they feel that that goes against their grain, how do we say to them, you know, like if you're in Massachusetts, like for me, I want to vote for Char- Charlie Baker's great. He was a great Republican. They elect Republican. You know, I wouldn't have voted Democratic because I think Baker reflects my interests and he's not the ch- Trump lane. And he was a better for the state. Imagine that on a sort of writ large. How, do, how can we get people to say, you know, we now actually have some viable choices. I'm not going to do what my grandfather did and stick with Reagan or, or vice versa, Roosevelt or whatever. I think that democracy requires criticism of our own. Yeah. And I think patriotism has is marked and peppered throughout history in this country when people have stood up and said this is wrong. What our country is doing is is wrong. We should not be interning Japanese during World yeah. War II. Of course. We we should not be enslaving people in yeah. 1860. Right. Like th- there are moments where people have to stand up and say this is wrong. And when people, when Republicans do that in the Republican Party, people listen. Of course, Democrats are going to say that. Now, when Democrats do it just to their own party, people listen. And that's important. It's, it's, it's that when people of conscience stand up and constructively criticize their own, it is a huge permission structure for people to say, that person's right. Mm-hmm. That, she's right. He is right. We mm-hmm. need to stand up and say this is this is wrong. The other person may be wrong too, and that doesn't make me a heretic or or a traitor to my cause or my country or my people. Mm-hmm. Simply saying, from my place of credibility with my identity, that what is happening is wrong, goes a really really long way. We just had this really ugly incident in Los Angeles City Council with a number of Latino politicians. Oh, I heard it's Martinez or whatever. Horribly racist comments. What, what, the one thing I'm proud of, as much as I'm embarrassed by what happened, it was Senator Alex Padilla and the Latino community-based organizations that were the first calling for resignation, leading and saying, this is not who we are. This is not they – weren't, they weren't protecting them to maintain power. They immediately said, this isn't worth having power. There is a greater good here. We have to be who we claim we are. And if we're not, then we have to say – there's no place in the public square for this. That's what the country needs more of. It's not criticizing other people. Frankly, we're past the point of even convincing people to cross party and vote. It's having the courage to criticize our own when it's wrong. And that strength, I think, it's very hard to do as somebody who's done it. You, you get you get lambasted. Mm-hmm. But there, there's also a different kind of strength that emerges because you start to hear a chorus of people behind you saying, you're right. You're right. That truth emanates and people follow that. I think that's great. Mike, well, the last question, and then we're going to go. And by the way, will you stick with me when the show's over on the other side? I have to say something off, offline. Yeah. Um, 
um, because you were just on a, you know, a series, and I, I think this is the fair thing to do. What do you want people to know about? You? Because only people who don't know you just saw you on Showtime. That's all they know. Or, you know, if they're following politics, they've heard competing sides. I don't mean what they want them to know about the Lincoln Project. What should people know about Mike Madrid? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think what's I just want to give you a platform to say. No, I appreciate that. Look, yeah. I, 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 I've been involved in politics for 30 years, and I've chosen consciously to be somebody who works behind the scenes because I'm not I'm not comfortable being out front. Okay. And, and I want people to know that you can still make a very big difference without being recognized. We, we are in this weird performative society. Yeah. Heat-seeking missiles of fame everywhere, right? Yeah, and it's just yeah. it's, it's part of the destruction of our, of our society. I, I think it's important to be, uh, if, if the moment finds you, which it found me, I never sought any of this. I'm just a data guy who does political work. Right. Then, then rise to the occasion. But if we all do our part behind the scenes – are, are just a little bit more, we're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. And that's really, I think, the message that I want to convey is okay. this country has been through very, very tough times before, and we've always emerged better. And right. we're going to now. I agree with you. Tough times are coming, but but we are going to be better people for it. We're going to be a nation of character in a way that is unique and, and a more perfect union. I genuinely believe that. Um, and But just know that that's, you know, that's, what I'm interested. I, I write books. I, I teach. I, I talk to people who wants to you know have conversations. Mm. That's that's the way I engage in democracy. And everybody can do it in their own way. You don't need to be, you know, a, 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 a cable news talking head or have mm. a gazillion followers on Twitter or you know, mm. that's just that's not important. What's important is doing your part locally, and that's I think who Mike Madrid is. I mean, on that note, I would say Mike Madrid says make civic virtue sexy again, right? Yeah. Too much. All right, Mike, listen, thanks so much for coming on the program. Please come back and see us anytime. Uh, folks, Mike Madrid, you've heard him and seen him, and here he is in his own words. Mike, thank you so much, and uh, stay dirty, stay moderate. <laughs> thanks for having me, Adam. I really appreciate the invite. Great conversation.